It's Friday, August 6th, and you've got Oz in your ears. Dr. Blowjob, send me a job. I'm out of work and I feel like a slob. Please twist on your magic knob. And Dr. Blowjob, send me. Please, please mend me. Dr. Blowjob, send me a job. Thank you, Bernice. Hey, you're out of work and I'm not. And that's why I can show up to host the one program that puts Americans back to work. One American at a time. Our first job seeker is Sterile Gorgon of Brooklyn, Iowa. Happy to be on the show, uh, Dr. Blowjob. Oh, just call me BJ Sterile, so tell me, where were you pinked? At Midwest Great Pains Packing, Doctor. I was a standby safety chain operator at the Lamb Sluice. That's hard work, but it is work. Now, you stay right where you are, Sterile. I've been doing that for months. Our other job seeker is a first-timer in the line. He's Tweed Eastern from same-sex Massachusetts. Who was at the other end of your downsizing hatchet, Tweed? Uh, worldwide whatever. I was halfway through my training as a generic brand special events manager when the bubble burst. Well, let's see if we can blow it up again. The voice you're about to hear, because you can't see him behind the screen, is a real employer with a real job opening. He'll test each of you with a job-related scenario, and your solution to the problem will determine which of you will walk away with a job, and which will return to a life of uncertainty, restlessness, and free-floating stress. Sounds like you've been there. <laughs> Mr. Gorgon. You're working for one of our communications divisions, cutting a data pathway through an old-growth redwood forest, and your blade accidentally cuts through a nest of endangered songbirds. How would you alert the authorities? Well, sir, where I come from, we have a saying. Eat what you kill, and have the EPA for dessert. Oh, you come strong out of the box there, Stero. Mr. Eastern. You're working as a tour person in one of our theme parks, and the fun bus you're on accidentally runs over a trained pony at the petting zoo. How do you handle the shocked crowd of tourists and school children? I'd remind them, sir, that it's a zero-sum life now. When that pony goes into our meat wagon, it means more hamburger for everybody. Oh, let's eat. And now the moment of truth. Who gets hired and who stays mired? The moment of truth. And yet, truth really doesn't have anything to do with it. If it did, the vast majority of the unemployed would be back at work. And the handful of lazy, system-playing-out-of-work slackers would fall off the radar. Or hire themselves out to GOP rallies as negative role models. I've made my decision. I don't want sterile. Oh, And I don't want tweed. I want them both. I want ruthless and toothless. I know good news when I hear it. Oh, thanks, Doc. That's Doc. Thank you so much. <laughs> All right, Bernice, take it away. Whatever. Dr. Blowjob, you got me a job. Now I can eat and I don't have to rob. You turned on your magic knob. They downsized and pinked me. You made them rethink me, Dr. Blowjob. Thanks for the job. It's Friday, and it's time for the best of the best. 
So let's go get blessed with the best. When we talk about the occupation in Afghanistan, call it a war if you wish, but it's not a war. It's an armed occupation. Uh, we listen to um, Ambassador Eikenberry, the former commander there, who says, it isn't working. We're making them dependent upon us. Don't send more troops. Karzai is not a credible partner. We, we listen to people like Carl Levin, who goes there and takes a look and comes back and says, this just isn't happening. But here is U.S. Army Staff Sergeant Andrew Smith in the blog Truth Dig, who gives it to us from the ground level. He calls his blog War Without Purpose. Al-Qaeda could not care less what we do in Afghanistan, says Sergeant Smith. We can bomb Afghan villages, hunt the Taliban in Helmand province, build a 100,000-strong client Afghan army, stand by passively as Afghan warlords execute hundreds, maybe thousands of Taliban prisoners, build huge elaborate military bases and send drones to drop bombs on Pakistan. It will make no difference. The war will not halt the attacks of Islamic radicals. Terrorists and insurgent groups are not conventional forces. They do not play by the rules of warfare, uh, which uh, actually our commanders have drilled into uh, people like ourselves in war colleges and service academies. The rules of war, that's almost an oxymoron. And these underground groups are protean. Changing shape and color as they drift from one failed state to the next, plan a terrorist attack and then fade back into the shadows. We are fighting with the wrong tools. We are fighting the wrong people. We are on the wrong side of history, and we will be defeated in Afghanistan as we will be in Iraq. Oh, that's dismal, isn't it? We have stumbled into a confusing mix of armed groups that include criminal gangs, drug traffickers, Pashtun and Tajik militias, kidnapping rings, death squads, and mercenaries. We are embroiled in a civil war. The Pashtuns, who make up most of the Taliban and are the traditional rulers of Afghanistan, are battling the Tajiks and Uzbeks, who make up the Northern Alliance, which, with foreign help, i.e. our help, won the Civil War in 2001. The old Northern Alliance now dominates the corrupt and incompetent government. It is deeply hated, and it will fall with us. Karzai knows, that this is me, Karzai knows the only way he's going to keep his head is if he keeps Americans around him. Because the minute we leave, he am a dead man. They're going to put his head in a bag and play polo. We are losing the war in Afghanistan. When we invaded the country eight years ago, the Taliban controlled about 75% of Afghanistan. Today, its reach has crept back to about half the country. The Taliban runs the poppy trade, which brings in an annual income of about $300 million a year. You can run a resistance on 300 mil. It brazenly carries out attacks in Kabul, the capital, and foreigners fearing kidnapping rarely walk the streets of most Afghan cities. It is life-threatening to go into the countryside where 80% of all Afghans live unless escorted by NATO troops. And intrepid reporters can interview Taliban officials in downtown coffee shops in Kabul. Osama bin Laden has to the amusement of much of the rest of the world, become the Where's Waldo of the Middle East. Take away the bullets and the bombs, and you have a Gilbert and Sullivan farce. No one seems to be able to articulate why we are in Afghanistan. Is it to hunt down bin Laden and al-Qaeda? Is it to consolidate progress? Uh, Have we declared war on the Taliban? Are we building democracy? Are we fighting terrorists there so we do not have to fight them here? Are we liberating the women of Afghanistan? The absurdity of the questions used as thought-terminating cliches exposes the absurdity of the war. The confusion of purpose mirrors the confusion on the ground. We do not know what we are doing. Thank you, Sergeant Smith.
Well, the WikiLeaks, they've leaked 91,000 secret documents painting a bleak picture of the Afghanistan war, and the White Houses responded with alacrity. They're calling it irresponsible and saying that the source, the whistleblower website WikiLeaks, opposes U.S. policy in Afghanistan. And I like that, see? You oppose the UN, you know, you, you come forward and you tell the truth and you release all of these real papers, and that means you oppose the U.S. policy in Afghanistan. So you aren't, like, balanced and fair? Like who? WikiLeaks said its Afghan war diary consists mostly of reports written by soldiers and intelligence officers describing lethal military actions involving the United States military. And it gave the these leaks, these papers, to the New York Times, the Guardian in England, and Germany's Der Spiegel in advance, right, so that they would be covered, so that, you know, enjoining one paper wouldn't keep it from happening, you know? White House National Security Advisor James Jones issued a statement that begins, The United States strongly condemns the disclosure of classified information by individuals and organizations which could put the lives of Americans and our partners at risk and threaten our national security. That's strange. It seems to me, Jimmy, that it's American policy that refuses to confront Pakistan that is putting our forces at risk. That's right. Sending people into a hostile country that doesn't want us there for no particularly good reason, that's what's putting us at risk, not exposing the folly. Quote, WikiLeaks made no effort to contact us about these documents. The United States government learned from news organizations that these documents would be posted. These irresponsible leaks will not impact our ongoing commitment to deepen our partnership with Afghanistan and Pakistan to defeat our common enemies and to support the aspirations of the Afghan and Pakistani people. What drivel. In other words, what they're saying is we're so deeply in bed with Pakistan and Karzai and his dope lord brother that no revelations, no matter how shocking, are going to get in the way or affect our total state of reckless denial. The official White House response goes on, quote, and this is the Obama White House. He's got to know what's happening. So this is Mr. O. Shame on you. The period of time covered in these documents, January 2004 to December 2009, is before the president announced his new strategy. Some of the disconcerting things reported are exactly why the president ordered a three-month policy review and a change in strategy. No, he didn't. We know from the Eikenberry cables that he didn't listen to the very man on the ground, not just any man, not, the, not only the man that was the commander of American forces in Afghanistan, but a scholar and a diplomat and a soldier, a rah-rah-awis, a rare bird among the people that work for the United States government, and Hillary Clinton gave him the cold shoulder. Shame on you, Hillary. So here's, here's Obama's new strategy, see? His new strategy is sending 30,000 troops and a couple hundred cases of Bud Lime Light per McChrystal's demands. That's what he did. But what it has done to address or solve any of the problems raised by these leaked documents remains completely unclear, like the atmosphere in AFPAC. And the official, the White House official added, it's worth noting that WikiLeaks is not an objective news outlet, but rather an organization that opposes U.S. policy in Afghanistan. Ah, oh, they said it again, right? You can't be objective if you take a look at the mess and say, this is completely fuckocked. Dave, I wish I could tell you that Tom Tancredo, former representative Tom Tancredo or Credo, was was an outlier, an, you know, an aberration amongst the the right wing. 
but he's not. He just says what everybody else wants to say. And now this wingnut is running for governor as an independent, I believe, in Colorado and causing all sorts of tourists there. Mm -hmm. So I thought for those of you who might be considering voting for him or those of you who might be considering the Tea Party as an alternative, mm -hmm. uh, here, are some of, here are some of the themes. I'll, 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 be, I'll, I'll be rating this. Now. All right. Okay. Number one, uh, the time that Tancredo argued that Obama is a greater threat than al-Qaeda. On a scale of 1 to 10, I'd have to put that right over there at 10. That's a 10. That's, that's a big 10. one, yeah. Okay. The time Tancredo called Sotomayor a member of the Latino KKK because she was a member of the National Council of La Raza, which he described as a Latino KKK without the hoods or the nooses. Where do you put well, that? They got the hoods, man. They, I don't got, know what they you're come from the about. hoods. They got the hoods. Gee whiz. I'd have to give that one another 10. Pete. There you go. Tommy. Yeah, it's outrageous. Let's go. The, the time Tancredo lamented Miami becoming a third world country. Well, come on. You know, six. that's that's six. That's six. just six. That's, that's just sarcasm. Yeah. The time Tancredo accused the Pope of welcoming illegal immigrants to the U.S. to boost church membership. In 2008, Pope Benedict XVI, not my favorite dude, but visited the U.S., and he urged that communities welcome the immigrants who join their ranks. Okay? Immigrants. It didn't say undocumented immigrants. Just yeah, immigrants. Right. And Tancredo's, I suspect the Pope's, uh, Pope's immigration comments may have less to do with spreading the gospel than they do about recruiting new members of the church. This isn't preaching. It's faith-based marketing. Where do you put that? Faith-based marketing. Well, as a, as a phrase maker, I'd give him a seven on that. Okay. On, on that. Two tens, a six, and a seven. Yep, Remember yep. that, okay? Mm -hmm. Five, the time Tancredo said he didn't know whether the Obama administration hates white people. Appearing on MSNBC, he was asked if he agreed with Rush Limbaugh <laughs> that the Obama administration hated white people. And his answer was, what do I, I have no idea if they hate white people or not. That's just stupid. That gives him a two. That's a two. That's just that's just Tom being his own stupid yeah, self. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. How about the time Tancredo suggested the U.S. respond to a terrorist nuclear attack by bombing Mecca? He said in 2007, Tancredo asserted that if Muslim extremists attack the country with nuclear weapons, you can take out their holy sites. That's well, big. that's a biggie. That's I, really I, big. That's really a big one. I'd, I'd have to give him another ten another on that ten. one. Yeah, Three yeah. tens. A six and a two. So mm -hmm. we're at 38 so far. Good. Okay, okay. Keep 38, this up. 38. All right, number it. eight. The time Tancredo wanted to kick anti-border fence towns out of the country and then build a fence so that they were on the other side. <laughs> so all border towns that didn't like the fence would then become part of Mexico. <laughs> that's a good joke, It's man. a good joke. That's a good it's joke. a four. I, I give it a four, oh, man. four, me sure. too. That's no, 38, four, that's 42. Here's number nine. The time Tancredo introduced the Jihad Prevention Act. In 2008, while still in Congress, they elected this man. Tancredo introduced legislation to require aliens to attest that they will not advocate installing a Shahira law system in the United States as a condition for admission. That is so confusing. I don't know. That's very. That's really low level. Thing. Yeah, I'm back at two. On another that two. One. Yeah. So we're up to yeah. forty now. Yeah. Okay, number ten. The time Tancredo declared Obama was elected because we do not have a civics and literacy test. When Tancredo spoke on the opening night of the National Tea Party Convention in February, he argued that the lack of a civics literacy test before people can vote contributed to Obama's election. Literary tests, as we know, mm -hmm. are Jim Crow. Okay? Yeah. 
What about that? That's yeah. race. That's straight on. Well, that's straight on racist. That that is that's Fine. that's. But well, More. you know, it's balanced by the elitist quality, which uh, you know, uh, that's true of, of the statement. Yeah. So, so I think I I I'd, I'd go five. I think five. So we're at forty-five five. now. Actually, this is number eleven, not number twelve. Okay. All right. So forty-five. Uh, the time Tancredo told a crowd Obama should be sent back to Kenya. Oh, in, that's really in, that's low. Oh, in April, during the keynote address at the Tea Party rally in South Carolina, where else where, can you where get else away you say that? with this yeah, kind yeah, of yeah. like third-rate slander? Yeah. Tancredo told a crowd that we're going to have to pray that we can hold on to this country, and added this about the president: If his wife says Kenya is his homeland, why don't we just send him back? What do you say? Oh, that's a, that's gets a 10. It's a 10. That's, that's a another 10. 50. It's, I mean, the guy is doing real well. I mean, yeah. I actually wasn't 11. Like, I think it's just eight, and he had a 50. Ooh, that's really good, you know. He's doing well. He's got mm-hmm. like a, almost a seven per. That's the a good, good rating. The okay. man. Anyway, this is the last one coming up? No, that's no? it. it, it that's he it? is a pro Pro bigot. All right. Yeah. I'm glad. We, we have set the mark. Yeah. Tom hey. T, Tom the T. pro B. Soon that recruiting poster will say, not we're looking for a few good men, but we're looking for a few good drones. Back in 2004, the Air Force could put a total of only five drone combat air patrols, CAPs as they call them, that's what they use now to cap people, each consisting of four air vehicles in the skies over American war zones at any one time. By 2009, five years later, that number was 38, a 660% increase according to the Air Force. More flight time will undoubtedly mean more killing. According to Peter Bergen and Catherine Titerman of the Washington-based think tank, the New America Foundation, in the Bush years from 2006 to 2009, in three years, there were 41 drone strikes in Pakistan, which killed 454 militants and civilians. And we, of course, can't tell one from the other. Last year, in one year, under Mr. O., There were 42 strikes that left 453 people dead. Bush killed 454 in three years. We're only one person under in one year. Good going, Barack. Just, hey, get us records ahead. A recent report by the Pakistan Institute of Peace Studies, an Islamabad-based independent research organization that tracks security issues, claimed even larger numbers, 667 people, most of them civilians, killed by U.S. drone strikes last year. Well, you can say, yeah, that's propaganda. That's just the Pakistanis trying to make us look like a bunch of civilian cappers. Oh, yeah. While assisting the CIA's drone operations in the Pakistani tribal borderlands, the Air Force has been increasing its own unmanned aerial hunter-killer missions. These are coward missions. These are people sitting, drinking beer in Las Vegas, killing people at a distance. This isn't war. This is deadly pong. From 2001, when armed drone operations began until the spring of 2009, the Air Force fired 703 Hellfire missiles and dropped 132 GBU-12s. These are 500-pound laser-guided bombs in combat operations. The Army, by comparison, launched just two Hellfire missiles and two smaller GBU-44 Viper strikes in the same period. It makes the Army either look like peaceful heroes or wusses. It's just a point of view. The disparity should only grow since the Army's drones remain predominantly small surveillance aircraft, while in 2009... The Air Force shifted all outstanding orders for the medium-sized Predator to the even more formidable Reaper. Ah, beat 
the Reaper, which is only twice as fast, which is not only twice as fast, but has 600% more payload capacity, meaning more space for bombs and missiles. Yeah, we can take out more of them wedding parties. You know, they're suspect. A lot of people standing around in a group in, in Afghanistan must be insurgents. Hey, why wait to find out? Here's a present you didn't expect. In addition, the more heavily armed Reapers, which can now loiter over an area for 10 to 14 hours without refueling, don't you get busted for loitering? Will be able to spot and track even more targets via an increasingly sophisticated video monitoring system. The first three, get ready, Gorgon Stair Pods. New wide area sensors that provide surveillance capabilities over large swaths of territory will be installed on Reapers operating in Afghanistan this spring. Gorgon stair pods. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe this is from the Greek myth, you know, go up, the Gorgon's got all the snakes in her hair, and if you look at her directly, you turn to stone, so you take a look at her in the reflection of your shield and cut her head off. Well, you better watch out, Barack, because you may wake up in the morning with a head full of stone snakes. A technology not available to the older predator, Gorgon Stare. I can't stand it. I'm paying for Gorgon Stare with my hard-earned money. This is hell on wheels. Well, the Gorgon Stare will allow 10 operators to view 10 video feeds from a single drone at the same time. Oh, the devil's laughing. Back at a distant base, a pilot, and that's, of course, in quotes, because it's not really a pilot, it's never been up in the air, you know, will stare at a tiled screen with a composite picture of the streaming battlefield video, even as field commanders analyze a portion of the digital picture, panning, zooming, and tilting the image to meet their needs. It's military porn! A more advanced set of pods scheduled to be deployed for the first time this fall will allow 30 operators to view 30 video images simultaneously. In other words, via video feeds from a single Reaper drone, operators could theoretically track 30 different people heading in 30 directions from a single Afghan compound. There's not that many places to go in Afghanistan! Fiddle and guitar 
commentary on this uh, unemployment extension that finally passed, because it is absolutely emblematic of where we stand right now, having fallen into this endless pit of, of economic collapse, which of course nobody's looking at really seriously. Nobody really, really has a sense of it, except a few. And there's a guy in Congress named uh, Representative Alan Grayson, right? He's the guy that People find to be outrageous only because he's a bit of a truth teller. Grayson said on the House floor that Republicans are blocking a reauthorization of unemployment benefits. This is just before it passed in order to resurrect the America of the 1930s. Ah, what a diorama. Ah, bring back the Dust Bowl and the Hoovervilles and the soup lines. There was no unemployment insurance back then, Grayson said in one of the most colorful speeches on the issue. There was no state benefits back then. There was no help for the people who had no job. All they could do, like my grandfather, father in desperate straits, supporting a family of seven, was to go to the dump and desperately try to find something he could sell. That, my friends, is the America that the Republicans are trying to revive. The America of desperate straits and, for them, cheap labor. He's talking class war here. The America where people have nothing, hope for nothing, and are desperate to live to the next day. That is what the Republicans are trying to resurrect by blocking unemployment insurance day after day, week after week, and now month after month. Grayson suggested, as many Democrats have, that Republicans are unfamiliar with regular folks dealing with the job crisis. Now, I know what the Republicans are thinking, says Grayson. They're thinking, why don't they just sell some stock, talking about the unemployed, said Grayson, who is himself a millionaire. 
If they were in really dire straits, maybe they could take some of their art collection and send it off to the auctioneer. And if they're in deep, deep trouble, maybe these unemployed can sell one of their yachts. And I will say this to the Republicans who have blocked this bill now for months and kept food out of the mouths of children, Grayson concluded. I will say to them now, may God have mercy on your souls. I wonder if he will. He's a pretty loving God. He's a pretty big God. So I think his tent is big enough to put those GOP hard-hearted, compassionless bastards inside. Keep them out of the rain of tears. I want to find the love of my life. He's probably in New York. I want to find Eminem. I love him. I wonder if my grandmother knows who he is. Just last week, we did a four-part interview with Daniel Ellsberg, who... um, had referred to the Eikenberry cables from um, Ambassador Eikenberry to Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama just before the surge as the Pentagon Papers of the Afghan conflict. Well, they have been uh, added to by these 90,000 pages of secret documents through WikiLeaks. So we really have the Pentagon Papers now. And of course, the press is dealing with two issues, which is, is this news? There's this whole idea of, well, we already knew this. Well, if you already knew it, why didn't you publish it? Or what are we going to do? Front page of uh, Newsweek magazine. Nation building isn't working. We have to rethink Afghanistan. Well, here we go. According to Jeff Greenwald, Huffington Post, here's what's happening. The tragedy that is Afghanistan continues. An occupation of a country that is costing thousands of American and Afghan lives. That's what it is. It's an occupation. An armed, violent occupation. Billions of dollars wasted in horrific misuse of tax dollars and resources. And a war that will never make us safer. In fact, the opposite. Each day that the war continues, the occupation winds up recruiting more resistance. This is what Eikenberry said. The more you bring, the more you bring the Americans on or NATO on or the, you know, the coalition of the willing, the more Taliban you create. Or if not Taliban, national insurgents. Who knows who they are? But they don't want us there. Does the word crusade come to mind? When, this is Greenwald talking, when I got off the plane in Kabul, For a series of on-the-ground interviews, the reality of the third poorest country in the world hit hard. The poverty is overwhelming, and it stands in stark contrast to the billions being spent on military efforts. The problems are immense. Economic, health-related, job-related, tribal, you name it, the problems are there. They are problems that are only intensified by a misguided war. Well, is it a surprise that we occupy one of the poorest countries in the world that just happens to have this huge huge pipeline running through. It's kind of like a new Robert Redford movie. A pipeline runs through it. The WikiLeaks release of the war logs has called attention to the facts on the ground, and the facts are deeply troubling. The corruption, the abuse of women, the lack of partners. The people of Afghanistan, it says, keep losing their trust in the government because of the high amount of corrupted government officials. The the report quoted them as saying, the general view of the Afghans is that the current government is worse than the Taliban. The current government is worse than the Taliban, and it doesn't get much worse than those sons of bitches Taliban. I mean, they're they're as bad as it gets, and yet the government appears worse to the Afghans. No place to be. Bring them home. So Greenwald says, we at the Brave New Foundation have worked relentlessly for over a year to explain the facts about Afghanistan, to call attention to the costs, and to urge a rethink of the policy. The WikiLeaks releases have provided a moment that we must all use to let the elected officials know that we will not 
be silent. We will raise our voices. We will telephone call. We will email. We will object in the strongest terms to the continuation of this war. Send the politicians a strong message that if they want our support in November, it's time to act to bring this war to a close. Not just Republicans. Democrats, too. They're all in it together. The Republicans are by nature, particularly these Republicans, you know, war happy. They know something's wrong. They jump on Michael Steele when he tells the truth, or at least his kind of like wacko version of the truth. But the Democrats are buying it because it has become Obama's war. The poor son of a gun gets this as like his dowry and doesn't know what to do with it. So we've got to tell them what to do with it, which is to get the hell out of there. You know, Dave, when when people, particularly during George Bush's administration, the younger, right? W. W. When they talk, when they make references to Nazi Germany and stuff, I would shudder because you know America was no Nazi Germany, but there are there are intimations of that thinking still going on today. In this case, we're going to talk about book burning, amongst other uh-huh. stuff. All right, uh-huh. Tennessee Lieutenant Governor Ron Ramsey. Lagging in the polls in the Republican gubernatorial primary race. This is this is printed in USA Today, McNewspaper, from Talking Points Memo, a lefty blog. According to Talking Points, says he's not sure if constitutional guarantees of freedom of religion apply to Islam, since he says Islam may be a cult, not actually a religion. Read, I don't know if civil rights and the protection of society applies to Jews because they may be a conspiracy and not a religion or human beings. It reads uh, close. It certainly does. Who's this guy? This is Lieutenant Governor Ron Ramsey. Ramsey did not dispute the video of his remarks posted on TPM, and and he re- responded with a comment in the email. So this is Ron talking. My concern is that far too much of Islam has come to resemble a violent political philosophy more than peace-loving religion. It's time for American Muslims who love this country, well, the ones who love the country, right? right, right, right. Or not the ones who hate the country. No, 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 certainly not there. To publicly renounce violent jihadism and to drum those who seek to do America harm out of their faith community. So this, obviously also probably radical right-wing Christian, I hate to use the word, you know, but I mean, that's what he says he is. Is he going to drum out of his community all the racists and bigots and, you know, and, and horrible do them poorly types? Well, I, I get kind and of a nice picture. And they drum out the guys and they're, they're wearing, you know, they're wearing the sad expressions and they're going. No, that, that's, that, you, you know, it's like. People live here. They got chickens and gardens and everything. You yeah. know, the responsibility of the United States government is to take care of its citizens, not to judge them, yeah. not to make it more difficult for them. And if they aren't citizens, hey, come on down. I mean, really, isn't that wasn't that what it was all about? Besides, it's still all about that day. Is it? Yeah. Is it? Well, tell this lieutenant governor from wherever. This lieutenant. This guy is like <laughs> the glu- the man who's suffering from glutamatism. All right. Here's the other side of it, because Islam's not doing well in this country. No. Because, of course, the thing about Islam, which makes it so powerful, you know, I traveled for a while in the Middle East, and I I got involved, I I met Sufi masters and did the whole thing. Islam has no 
official standing uh, anywhere in the sense of it doesn't have a Vatican, it doesn't have the Conference of Rabbis, it doesn't have Presbyter, it doesn't have the Archbishop of Canterbury. It's, it may be established in various countries as the, in quotes, official religion, but the fact is it has no center. Anyone can be an imam. Anybody can be, you know, an ayatollah. You're recognized by the people as such. You don't get a degree and you don't go to a school. It's completely amateur, Okay. It's, that's what's, and that's what's so amazing about it. Its power is that it reaches out and you don't have to go anywhere to be you know, of Islam and you don't have to do anything except study it and, and teach it, no matter how good or bad the teachings may be, to be an imam or a mufti or whatever. You know, this is, so, okay, so there's no center church. So that Islam, you can't say, well, let's go to the Islam Vatican and ask them what they think about jihadism. Because the Islamic guy, the crazy guy in, in Egypt, thinks entirely different from the modern Indonesia. But they're both Islam, you know. Yeah. So here we go. So the vast majority of U.S. pastors would never dream of burning a Koran, right? Okay? But there's a Florida church that's going to do just that. It calls itself a New Testament charismatic non-denominational church. It's the Dove World Outreach Church. At okay. 227 and three quarters North Plymouth Street in right. Yeah. And this yeah. is, the, they call themselves a non denominational church that believes in the whole Bible, as if there are crypto Christians out there that don't believe in the whole Bible, right? <laughs> they only yeah. believe in things that are convenient to them, whatever that means. Uh-huh. Okay. okay. So now, step, he, the, the, the pastor there has a big sign out in front of his church that says, Islam is of the devil. Right? And he sent kids to school wearing T-shirts saying Islam is of the devil. And they they all got sent home, causing lots and lots of publicity. Okay, now this is a guy, by the way, his backstory, who's being investigated because he's using his church to do nothing but sell stuff online. All right? He's just, he's a complete, he's a complete... The Church of Me. The Church of Me. It is. According to Religion News Service, the church is planning international burn a Koran day. On the ninth anniversary of the September 11th attacks this year, uh, um, right in the middle of the Eid al-Fitr Islamic feast days at the conclusion of Ramadan. So at the end of Ramadan, they're going to burn Korans publicly in Florida, and that's going to help the boys in AFPAC. Boy, I'll tell you. I mean, I got to say, you know, all those countries are a long way away from here, and they can't tell whether these people are wingnuts or just ordinary Americans. So that's really a very problematic thing to do. One and two, what was that about peace-loving religions? Yeah, whatever happened to Christ dying for our sins and redeeming us? The show is cold Oh, when you stood me up The show is cold you put my head on the chopping block Yeah Show's cold Yeah Show's cold, baby You're not coming home Show is cold, baby 
was cold Oh Lord, he's sweeping all alone Well, Dave, Tony Hayward is is stepping down as the CEO of Bandit Petroleum. Sailing out of the Gulf. Well, we predicted it, right? Yep. Remember with yep. he and Haley Barber going to get swallowed up there by the whitening whale on Bob. I don't know. Maybe he's going off with Bob. They're treating him well, of course. He's uh, he's got a payout of one point six million. Seems a little meager, actually. Uh, yeah, yeah. That's. I think they're giving that out in Bell, California, to the city council. <laughs> And he's got an $11 million pension fund, but we really don't know the inside. Here's what I like about Tony, is that Tony stays 
close to form. Explaining his decision to leave the group that he's led for three and a half years, Hayward said, I believe this tragedy will leave BP a different company. I believe uh, uh, I believe it's time for, me to, yeah, time for me to move on. Mm-hmm. Uh, if we're going to move on in the United States, it needs new leadership. And for that reason, I've stood down as CEO. I think BP's response to this tragedy has been a model of good social corporate responsibility. It has mounted an unprecedented response. And then he said he may be too busy to attend any hearings in oh. the United States. Oh, I see. It. Too busy. The man is nothing but PR. Sailing Bob, Sailing Bob. Well, he's a short guy by uh, evidence of the pictures and just overwhelmed by, what's his name, Dudley, the American. Yeah, we got an American running BP. Because we got all these companies in America, including one about, what, 50 miles from here? Yeah, right. Uh, BP refinery. You know, people won't buy BP gas anymore. The gas stations are going broke. They just won't touch it. No to you, Tony, so long and... Thanks for all the thanks dead for all the oil. Fish. Yeah, thanks for all the dead, <laughs> dead fish, fish and the ruined lives. Oh, but man. that is, in fact, I would say probably it has been an unprecedented response. I think it was a model of great corporate behavior right after the damn thing sank. I didn't vote for Obama, um, basically because I couldn't figure out what his agenda was. He wanted to scream, change, 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 change what? Well, every once in a while, you know, uh, I have to just kind of look through the newspaper with with a yellow highlighter because it just gets so crazy and circle things. Well, this is this is one thing I circled in the in the good old gray lady this morning in a totally different article about disgruntled people in Edison, New Jersey, or maybe they were just oversexed people. Maybe they know. were just gruntled. Maybe they were just gruntled. Anyway, this was a quote: Ron Mizkowski, an Edison police lieutenant who says he's not a hardliner for either party and has grievances that are across the board, immigration, the wars, taxes, the usual. Okay, here's here's what he said. I think what we need to do is stop going into this socialistic society, which is what I think his goal is, uh, meaning Obama, of course. Maybe he's not a true socialist, but his ideals and ideas are this kumbaya thing where everyone gets the same health care and the same benefits, and most of the health care is going to go to immigrants. Well, the country wasn't built that way. I'm on the phone with Liz Woodruff, who is running the Think Outside the Bomb Disarmament Summer Camp in Chimayo North, North, excuse me, New Mexico. It's, it's actually only north of Mexico, uh, 40 miles from Los Alamos. How are you doing, Liz? I'm doing great. Um, we are uh, have just launched our disarmament summer encampment. We have about uh, 70 young people here and are expecting more every day. Uh huh. Well, g- give me the outline of what you're doing. What, what does it look like, and what do you what do you intend to achieve? Um, we are trying to build a better future by embracing a permaculture um, methodology of action and resistance. Mm-hmm. So we have called young people from across the United States down to Chimayo, New Mexico, um, to contribute to the construction of um, a permaculture space. And we have wonderful um, uh, compost toilets, uh, solar showers, gardens, and other structures to do that. Um, And at the same time, we're training people in permaculture, and that's dialoguing with um, training them in organizing and action and modes of resistance, as well as educating them about the destruction of the nuclear industrial complex from power to weapons and waste. 
So um, we've just ramped up uh, today after about four days before um, kind of taking it easy and getting settled in. And now we're beginning to vision for our action that will take place at Los Alamos um, on the 65th anniversary of the U.S. bombing of Hiroshima. Um, and we will do a direct action on the labs demanding an end to U.S. hypocrisy um, on nuclear weapons and the redirection of that energy, resources, and um, genius of the minds that we have towards uh, renewable energy um, and other sources of uh, job creation and life-giving. Well, let me ask you one thing. When you say direct action, what sort of plan do you have in mind? Well, um, we are going to be doing um, a big critical mass event uh, starting at Ashley Pond in the heart of Los Alamos. So Ashley Pond is actually the location of the first um, plutonium pit facility um, when the bomb was originally built. And the plutonium pit is the core of the nuclear weapon. Um, now it's, it's a very contaminated pond um, in a park. But we'll be meeting there, um, and we will be integrating art, um, performance, uh, and having specific demands associated with the lab. And so um, we expect around 100 people or more um, to uh, engage in a performative act of, uh, and demonstration towards the lab and, and some forms of resistance. Well, I, I, wish, you, I wish you luck. I, I, I hope you don't get arrested, but sometimes that's, you know, that's part of the job. It's very hard to do permaculture inside a cell, but I'm sure if anybody could do it, <laughs> it would be you. You know, Peter, I was just going to respond to, to that notion of, uh, of, you know, permaculture inside a cell. I think um, what we're saying is that at this point, when billions of dollars are going to weapons destruction and there are people throughout New Mexico in the surrounding community that don't have jobs, um, don't have access to educa- education, and their public health is being affected, um, this is one of those times where it's really important um, that we we take the kind of action that can um, show the need for a transformation. And so this is one of those times where resistance actually benefits um, the permaculture environment. I agree. Absolutely, 100%. I think the mixture of the two, I think the, the last interview we did, I called it uh, uh, permaculture versus the nuclear trigger. And it really is and I love that. It really is quite a gulf, isn't it, Liz? I mean, when you think about it, nothing could be more life-giving and nothing could be more death-dealing. And, uh, you know, it's just mm-hmm. uh, from my window, or from my porch, actually, I saw a Trident submarine go by up Admiralty Inlet. There was, there was enough hydrogen bomb power on that single submarine to pretty much end the world. And I thought, now there's strategic thinking. That's really going to bring peace to the world. It should have been a barge full of, you know, onion sprouts would have done, would have actually been a better, better foreign policy threat. Well, this is terrific. And now, and now when, uh, when is the event there by the polluted pond going to take place? Is that on the 6th? It's on the 6th, on Friday the 6th. Um, we will be having actions um, in Santa Fe and the surrounding area just Um, awareness and outreach actions um, leading up to it. Okay, good. We'll be talking with you on the 6th also. Thank you. Thank you. Liz Woodruff, she's out there in Chimayo, uh, New Mexico, uh, putting permaculture up against the bomb. It always amazes me that there are these sudden revelations grounded on material that's been available to anybody with the least desire to do some serious research. The New York Times now has this big story about the fact that Pakistan has basically been running the Taliban and running the insurgency in Afghanistan. You know, the the intelligence service there has been doing the whole thing behind our backs to our, not with our best interests at heart. 
Okay. Well, this is something that anybody who read, for example, the book Ghost Warriors, which is the story of the Americans in Afghanistan from the time that we, uh, you know, thumbed our nose at the Russians until the present, would know in depth. See? But according to the New York Times, here's what they say. Americans fighting the war in Afghanistan have long harbored strong suspicions that Pakistan's military spy service has guided the Afghan insurgency with a hidden hand, even as Pakistan receives more than a billion a year from Washington for its help combating the militants, according to a trove of secret military field reports made public Sunday. Of course, we're talking about the WikiLeaks, but you don't need the WikiLeaks to know this. Not all of this is hidden information. I mean, as I say, Ghost Warriors does a full rundown on the fact that Pakistani intelligence has been running the insurgency for 20 years and has been basically laughing at us, taking our money and screwing us right and left. Yes, they've got the bomb. They've also got the Taliban 60 kilometers outside of Islamabad. They're in deep doo-doo. The documents suggest that Pakistan, an ostensible ally of the United States, which they have never been, allows representatives of its spy service to meet directly with the Taliban in secret strategy sessions to organize networks of militant groups that fight against American soldiers in Afghanistan and even hatch plots to assassinate Afghan leaders. Look, I'm not going to go on with the details. Figure it out for yourself. The fact is, is the Pakistanis have been playing us a deadly double deal game, and we have got to smack those boys upside the head. You've got Hillary Clinton, you know, arriving there and, and with bundles of money under her arms. You know, the Bell of Wellesley with, with baskets of greenbacks appears in Afghanistan, you know, better than a burqa. Here she comes, and they take it and they use it to screw us and kill us. Yeah, I know they've got the bomb and we're scared to death, but it's time to call their bluff. Well, it's the beginning of the month, early August, but it's the end of the show. It comes and goes, but we do not leave without tangulation. You know, uh, these five tang poets have lasted us 60 programs because I believe this one has been number 60. Oh, David, is this number 60? Remember when we started going daily back on the 22nd of April, we said 60 shows, proof of pudding. There we go. We're here, we're proved. The pudding tastes just great. And here's the first piece of pudding. This is Wang Wei. This is the first poem in this book called The Spring Day at the Farm. Pigeons coo on the roof. Apricot orchards bloom white at the edge of town. The farmers are out with axes, pruning the mulberry trees, hoeing watercourses. Swallows hunt up old nests. Old men sit in the sun, almanacs on their laps. I have forgotten my glass of wine, thinking of lost friends, dead friends in a blaze of old pain. Wow, in a blaze of old pain. They sure knew how to get at you, didn't they? Oh, pigeons on the roof, it's spring. Yeah, they, <laughs> the thing about these Tang poets, and they're not alone, but they're in this, but they, they, they really touch things so closely. They make little things 
so important because they are important. They reveal the importance of the everyday. Each line is really just two characters, two images. Oh, and, right. And two, the, two ideograms. Right? Two ideograms. Oh, I didn't know that, yeah. And uh, the brilliance of these translations by David Young is that he really captures them. And there's a certain uh, duplication. Jade means a particular thing or gold means, you know. There are, are, as it were, cliche ideograms, but he just makes wonderful uh, music with them in this in this book from Oberlin College Press, Five Tang Poets. Hey, it's been really fun reading 60 of these, too. Oh, and there's more it? to come. And there's more to come, there's and there's more, more Oz to come. Anon, Anon. Yes, indeed. It's radio. There's our bed. Ooh, I love that. What modified disco, gene- genetically modified music. <laughs> I'm Peter Bergman, your host on Radio Free Oz. Co-host is David Osmond. Bill McIntyre is our producer. Dave Maloney is our audio engineer. Chaz Glass is our financial man. Tom Gedwillow is the webmaster. Scott Wilde's in charge of social media. And Phil Fountain makes it look oh so nice. Didn't he do a good job of integrating Dan Ellsberg's picture into the splash page last week? I thought it was fabulous. You know, I'm an iconoclast. I want, like, pure design all the time, you know. And no, no pictures. He did it. He's, he's showing me the way. So we'll show you the way next time on Radio Free Odds. <laughs>